right? I don't know if you ever go through the day and you just, something happens and you just know it's the fingerprint of God, that God nudged you, he poked you, he's on Facebook and he's poking you and he just said, way to go and you just have to yell out, woohoo, uh, God is so good. And I want the world to know that, and I know you want the world to know that too. You know, when, when Tammy and I lived in Northern California, we had a piece of property. It was one acre, and, uh, the, and, and we're in the mountains, so we're in the forest. And the person that ha- we bought the house from, unfortunately, his wife had died of cancer seven years before. And for seven years, he, he did nothing to the property. So uh, the property quickly became overgrown. Uh, we had one-third of an acre in ivy that was two feet tall that was filled with rats or snakes or whatever little vermin was living in there. And we were just overwhelmed with the entire acre of, uh, in the forest overgrown. But then we got Princess. Princess is a goat. Goats are beautiful. Princess ate poison oak, poison ivy. She ate ivy itself. She ate weeds. She ate star thistles. She ate grass, vermin. Uh, She ate everything that was on that entire piece of property. And all I did was get an electric fence, and I just moved her from around. And it took a year. It took a year and a half to get the property cleaned up. But she was amazing. she became our lawnmower. She became our weed eater. She became our roundup. Uh, she became our hedge trimmer. She was our gardener. And I like well-maintained yards. And so it was very frustrating to have this overwhelming piece of property. But then Princess came into our life. And so a man and his goat, it's a beautiful thing. It's just a beautiful thing. And in time, it was a process, but in time... She cleaned that entire yard up so there wasn't any, any thistles, no thorns, no ivy, no weeds, no star thistle. She ate it all, and it, and it was. And it was so beautiful. It was a beautiful, beautiful pro- piece of property. Now, we enjoyed that yard without weeds and without thorns and without poison uh, oak. And Princess did all the work. And she fertilized it too. So that were, it was like a double benefit. But in a real sense, when we come to Christ, you have an overgrown yard in your life. You have goat heads and thistles and ivy and poison oak and poison uh, uh, noxious weeds are in your garden. And, and Jesus comes into your life. You become a believer. You, you become a follower. You, you bury the old Heather in a watery grave. She comes up out of that. And then God says, okay, now we can begin to clean up your yard, your garden. And Jesus does this amazing thing about turning us from the inside out into this new creation. So uh, there's actually a slide up for you, and it's, and it's a question mark. How does Jesus take an ugly life and turn it into a beautiful one? Isn't that the question? I mean, you believe in Jesus, right? I mean, that's why you're here. Um, I believe in Jesus. And then it's like, okay, now, now what? What's, what happens next? 
I've given my life to Christ. Now, how does he come into my life and take my, my weeds, my thorns, my thistles, my nasty things of our heart and turn them into something beautiful? Isn't that the question? It really is. And it is a process to be sure. Just like it took Princess a while to transform our yard, it takes a, a while for God to transform you into this brand new beautiful creation and it's constant work and it happens in the context of biblical community you don't do it by yourself you need the support and the love and the nurture and the encouragement of other people around you to pursue a life that's different from the world are you with me on this and if if you're trying to do this on your own strength and your own power you're likely to get snipered by the enemy. You're likely to be picked off. But when we come together, and this is a beautiful thing to start on New Year's Day, we get encouragement from one another. And we realize that, hey, we all are on this journey together. We're all having our yards cleaned up by Jesus into this beautiful garden. Now, there's a a passage, Ephesians, and, and Heather's going to throw up on the board for you. It says this, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, but Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the home structure being joined together grows into a, and I have in bold and in italics, a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In other words, we are being used in a metaphor sense right now, saying that we're a building, we're like a temple. That when we come together, the Spirit of God gets to dwell here and change us. And that is just an incredible thing. Now, let's define the word holy for a second, because I don't want you to think that it's about shaved heads and wearing robes and chanting kumbaya. <laughs> right? To be holy means that you're different from the world. That, that you're separated out from the world. And in fact, um, I think it may be in another that I want to show you uh, that that I'm, well maybe it's verse 13 let me just turn to ephesians myself you don't have to but verse 13 which is not up not up on the board says this but now in Christ Jesus you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ and then that we are separated we were separated from Christ and now to be holy means to be separated to Christ that makes sense? You were separated from Christ when you're outside of Christ and you were without hope in the world and without the love of God in the world and now you're separated to Christ. And that's what it means to be holy. It means to be counted in God's camp and not in the world's camp. And this theme of holiness is, of course, throughout the whole New Testament. In fact, the next slide is out of First Peter and it says this, Therefore, preparing your mind for actions and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he, he, he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. 
since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. We are we are commanded to be holy. And Heather's going to throw this next slide up on the board. If Jesus commanded it, catch this. If Jesus commanded it, he empowers it to be accomplished. Does that make sense? He's not going to give you instructions to go get a job done unless he has empowered you to get the job done. You don't tell a four-year-old, go drain the pool. He's not capable. He may drown. But you can tell a 16-year-old, go drain the pool. Because he's been empowered to do it. Jesus says, you're holy. And I'm empowering you to be holy. First, there's another verse, uh, Peter passage too that again this this reoccurring theme as you have come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of god you're chosen and precious you yourselves are like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to god through jesus and then the next passage as well we might as well throw it up there but you You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Next slide. Continues on. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. I know we just covered a lot of words. But basically, you're different from the world now because you got Jesus. And that means you're holy. You may not feel holy, because you are a heart that has thorns and thistles and briars and nettles and stinging things. And you don't feel very holy, but God says, no, 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 you are holy. Because I have separated you out to, to Christ, to myself. Have you noticed the theme? The church, you and I, were to be holy so that we can attract non-believers to God. Isn't it ironic that the Jews would gather and they would go to the temple to meet God and to worship and to fellowship? And then God does this paradigm shift and he says, now you're the temple and I'm going to meet the world through you. The world can come and meet God if you are shining like God. If you are behaving like Jesus, people will see a glimpse of him in you. And instead of Jews going to the temple, we're the temple and the world's coming to us. I like what Dwight L. Moody said. He said it this way, A holy life will make the deepest impression. Lighthouses blow no horns. They just shine. See, when you shine and you're carrying around the Spirit of Christ on you and in you, people notice that. Especially if you have a relationship that spans the course of time. 
and you become more and more like Jesus. You become more and more, I hate to use the phrase holy, because you already are holy. You have been separated out. Now, our passage today is in Titus. So I hope you have your Bibles. I want you to turn to Titus, and we're going to read what Paul says to Titus about allowing Christ to come into our life and change our weedy, seedy yard into a beautiful garden. It's very practical. How to be a holy temple where the Spirit's going to dwell. Let me get there myself. I'm in 1 Peter. Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11, it says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Christmas came. Jesus entered the world. He came to redeem man. And it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now verse 12 says, Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. There's a lot in that passage. And the reason I chose it, we'll be back in Mark next week, but I wanted to, this is like a post-Christmas message because verse 11 starts off, for the grace of God has appeared. Christmas came. The awaited Savior came. The Redeemer came. Now what? Now that Jesus is in our life, how does he clean that yucky yard up, your yucky heart, your, your spongy, yucky soul? into this beautiful, magnificent new creation. And Paul says to Titus, here, verse 12, it's, you can use either the word training or teaching, but look at the beginning of verse 12, training us to renounce ungodliness. So that very first fill in the blank is that. He's teaching us a new way to live. Jesus is teaching us a new way to live. Jesus doesn't find us in the gutter and leave us there. I've shared this before, and I hope you understand my heart on it, but I hate um, welfare that is one-dimensional. I'll say it that way. It's 365 days of the year, right? What good do we really do people on one day of the year we hand them a food basket? One day of the year, you know, you look in the newspaper and it says, oh, this organization handed out, you know, 4,000 baskets of food. They do it one day a year. Does that really help? Or is it better to come alongside a family personally not corporately, but personally, and say, you know what, I can help Heather. I can't help all of you, but I can help her. And, and so he comes along, and, and God doesn't say, well, I'm just going to pick you up. At, uh, I'm going to pick you up from the gutter and then walk away. No, he doesn't leave us. 
It isn't a once a year thing for Jesus. It's a 24-7 that Jesus is there to help you have success, to help you escape from the poverty of your soul, so to speak. Come as you are, but leave change because he teaches us what real life is about. So I hear my heart on that. I just, I think that we need to help people all the time. I just don't think we should help them one day a year because it doesn't affect them. I'd rather teach a man how to fish than to hand him a fish one day of the year. And Jesus loves us enough that he says, you're a new creation in Christ, Charles. Guess what? I'm going to teach you now how to live. Not only did I save you and redeem you and bought you back from the darkness, but now I'm going to take you to the next level. I'm going to now teach you how to live. Wow. Retraining needs to occur. I don't know if you've ever had to work with somebody that had a lot of pride and you had a chance to work with somebody that had a teachable spirit. Which one do you want to work with? You know, when you have a teachable spirit, you say, you know, I don't know anything. I I don't know everything. Jesus, show me how to live. Show me how to be kind. Show me how to be a better husband. Show me how to be a good neighbor. Show me how to be a good friend. I thought I knew everything, but now that I'm older and wiser, I know I know nothing. Jesus, teach me. And a teachable spirit will take you so far in this garden that God is cleaning up. If you come and say, God, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to be a good wife. I don't know how to be a good mom. I don't know how. Show me, Jesus, how to do it. And he says, you know what? I'm, I'm there. I'm right there with you. I'm going to teach you and retrain you how to cope. In the old days, you know how I coped? I went and spent money. Made me feel good. How about you? Ever have that coping mechanism? You're having a, a, a tough week, tough month, tough year, and you think... What I need to do is go treat myself. I'm going to go buy something. That's a bad coping mechanism, isn't it? Jesus comes along and says, I'm your coping mechanism. If you're having a bad day, you have to go out to dinner. Come talk to me about it. You don't need new clothes. Talk to me about it. You don't need a new purse. You don't need a new haircut. You don't, and, and suddenly life starts being retrained because Jesus is teaching you. We hate to admit being wrong, don't we? But that is the very first step in allowing Jesus into your garden to clean it up. And and that is to have a teachable spirit. Say, okay, maybe I I do need to learn. Well, we do. So here's here's the sub-points of teaching us a new way to live, and it's right there in our text. He says, say no, that's a fill in the blank, say no to ungodliness and worldly possessions or passions. Verse 12, train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. First Peter says it this way, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Do you know that most TV shows have something to do with sex? Do you know that in our country alone that internet pornography is a $15 billion industry? That's just one year's revenue. One, five, zero, 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 comma, zero, 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 comma, zero, zero, zero. 
We have to say no to it. We have to say no to selfishness. Have to say no to seeking the approval of men, wanting to be popular, wanting to be part of the in crowd, allowing things to identify your purpose and your identity, stuff. We have to say no to the, the way the world lives. Teddy Roosevelt said it this way, if a man will steal for me, then the same man will steal from me. Holiness has an aspect of purity. I don't know, in, in Missouri where the, we have tornadoes, <laughs> you can see trees that have fallen. And it's really interesting to go and see some because some will fall over when there's just a gentle breeze. And you go, how in the world did that beautiful, stately, incredibly gorgeous oak tree just fall because of a 10-mile-an-hour wind? And then when you go and you look at the tree, you see that the tree had been infested with bugs. And it had been eaten from the inside out. So the slightest breeze caused that big stately oak to to tumble. Do you know when that tree started its ruin and demise? When the insects had first invaded you can look at people and you think, oh, you got their whole, they've got their whole life together. But inside, stuff is not right because they're not pure. And so we have to get accustomed to saying no. No to the world. Because we're supposed to be different, to be holy. We have to be proactive to suppress evil and ungodliness. Before Jesus can come in and clean up our garden, we have to give him permission to come in and, and bring in the goat. He gives us the power, but we have to be engaged in the process. He wants to clear away, get rid of the weeds, the thorns, and the, whole, uh, the unholy things in our life. And sometimes he sends goats into our life. <laughs> sometimes he, he sends us a hoe. And he says, you got something nasty in your, in your life that you need to get rid of. And then the text goes on. So it says, train us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. And then it goes on, the second half of it, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And so we have to say yes. We, the fill in the blank is say yes to self-control and upright and godly lives. It's not just about suppressing evil or wickedness or waywardness. It's about elevating the good in your life. I've said this before, we get pretty good at the do not do list. We don't smoke or chew or go with girls that do. Right? We don't do that anymore because we know better. But how's my heart towards kindness? How's my heart towards others? Where am I on the to do list? When you walk by trash in a parking lot, do you say, hey, somebody littered, and you just walk by? Or you say, well, at least I didn't litter. Or do you say, huh, somebody littered. I wonder what I should do about it. You know what you should do about it? What do you think you should do about it? You already know the answer, don't you? You're going to pick up that grimy piece of trash. Uh, it might be a, a go-gurt, 
a yogurt go-gurt that has been smashed and driven and you have to get your hands dirty. But something inside of you says you are different from the world because everybody else will walk by the piece of trash, but you're going to be different because you've called to be holy. You've called to do what is right. We do the right thing for the right reason regardless of the consequences. Being holy is not a list of do's and don'ts. Sure, there are boundaries. Boundaries in a schoolyard? That's, that's good. It offers protection. Boundaries are freedom when we can really wrap our mind around it. You get to do whatever you want on your land, right? Well, within reason. But your neighbor can't come over into your yard and do something. They shouldn't be able to dump their trash or expand their property line. Boundaries are good. They're safe. They protect us. But being holy is not being a legalist about the do's and don'ts. See, the legalist is concerned about doing the right thing. But a person that is holy is concerned about Jesus the one who gave us the boundary. See, a legalist focuses on the thing itself and the holy person focuses on the person who gave us the thing. Do you see the difference? And that's what is so freeing that when we can focus on Jesus, then we don't become legalist. But if we focus on the rule, we become legalist uh, in a heartbeat. Duty looks at the rules, but devotion looks at the master who made the rules. Holiness is not focused on not being separate, but focused on their relationship with the Lord. So here's the second fill in the blank to to number two. Waiting, or while we wait, that's what the text says. Jesus gave himself, and verse 13 says, waiting for our blessed hope. You know, there's two, two parts of your conscience. There's a hardware side. And there's a software side. Did you know that? God gave you a conscience. That's the hardware. This system of right and wrong. You know when something is wrong intuitively because your conscience is working. Now, the software part is what you put in to determine when the scales go this way. It's the calibration. So if we lived in, I don't know, Papua New Guinea and women walked around half-dressed, it is socially acceptable, right? But here, can women walk around half-dressed? No. Something inside of us is wrong because we said, hey, this is wrong. So there's a software side of it where we, we write that software, holy software. If you feed your soul, your spirit, your garden... If you're planting weeds, if you're planting thorns, and you're planting poison oak, guess what's going to come up? But if you program that software or you're planting righteousness, you're planting kindness, you're planting patience and peace and goodness and self-control, that's what's going to grow. King David said it this way, Thy word have I hid in my heart, so I won't sin against you, God. David knew that if he filled himself with God's word, it was going to help him be faithful to Jesus or to God. 
And then Jesus, here's the point number three, Jesus makes us holy. Jesus does the purifying. He does the work if we allow him to. He changes the old man and the old coping devices. He starts changing the inner man and shaping us and molding us. See, being holy has nothing to do with our righteousness. It has everything to do with, with Jesus. You know, it's one thing to be told by your neighbor or coworker that you're a selfish pig. That's one thing, right? Your coworker sits you down, Bob, and says, you know what, Bob, you're a selfish pig. How do you respond? Well, there's many ways to respond. <laughs> yeah, did you see that? Bob said, I slapped him. <laughs> okay, it's another thing when Jesus sits you down and says, you know what, Bob, you've been selfish. Think about that for a moment. When your worker or coworker tells you you're being selfish, but Jesus sits down and says, you know, Stella, here's, here's an area that needs a little work. You're, you're willing to listen because he's the one that's purifying us. He's the one that sits us down and, and has that loving confrontation with us. It's one thing to be told by your wife or children that you're being rude, angry, or unfair. Because we just dismiss it, right? Yeah, see? Just dismiss it. Let me say it again. When you're told by your wife, Tammy, or your children, Stephanie, Brittany, or Danielle, that you're being rude, angry, and unfair, you know what I do? I just dismiss it. But when Jesus comes along and sets me down and says, Rob, you were rude today, or you were angry today, or you were unfair today, you know what? That carries weight. That's how Jesus purifies us. That's how he cleans up the garden. That's how he sends the goats. How he cleanses us. That he has these loving confrontations because he is teaching us a new way to live. Are you with me on this? It's one thing to be encouraged by the culture or political correctness that your identity comes from what you wear, what you drive, how you eat, how nice your house is how much money is in your bank or your sexual orientation or your preferences. But it's another thing when Jesus confronts you about what you really worship in your life. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? Where, what are you doing with your life? When we listen to Jesus and trust what he says, then we start changing our behavior and our thoughts. And we start coming under his authority and coming under his love and he begins to purify us. You know what he says to us? He says, you see those pretty little flowers? I want you to pull them out by the roots. And I want you to go throw them in the burn pile. Because those pretty little flowers, they're going to turn into goat heads. Now, do we believe them? When we do, we say, you know, they, they look, I don't know, have you ever seen those pretty little flowers that come right before the goat heads? Those little stickers that are so nasty in New Mexico? 
but there's pretty little flowers. And you're like, but Jesus, look, there's nothing wrong with these little flowers. And he says, I know what's going to happen if you don't get in control of your anger, if you don't get in control of your self-centeredness, if you don't get in control of your tongue, I know what's going to happen. And you're going to have all sorts of thorns and thistles and goat heads in your garden, and you're not going to be attractive to anyone, let alone the world. Now, you are to be holy, you are to be different, and I am telling you, get rid of those little flowers. And the life that says, Okay, Jesus, I trust you. I will do it. Do you know how much pain he saves us from the future? Do you, do you see that that's how he cleans up our garden? He changes us. He, he retrains us. He's the one that's purifying us. Having our minds think like Jesus, having the mind of Christ, taking every thought captive to Christ, having the humility of Christ, being others-oriented, having the love of Christ, a sacrificing love, a purifying love, a caring love, an unbreakable love. That's what he's doing in our hearts. What it means when you are to take every thought captive to Christ is when a thought comes into your brain, into your mind, and you say, Jesus, is this from you or is it from the world? Because right now, my thought is to cut that driver off in my car because I'm really angry. Did that thought come from you? And Jesus says, no, that thought did. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that thought captive. Or when somebody says, you know what, your father's a jerk. Somebody says that to you. Your father's a jerk. And Satan just ready for you to say, yes, he is. But wait a second. The Bible says to honor my mother and father. So I can't think that about my father. It may be true, but I'm going to take that and I'm going to say, Jesus, help me. Help me. Do you see how we take every thought captive to Christ and make it obedient? And here's the last fill in the blank. Who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are, in my translation, it says zealous for good works or eager to do what is right or eager to do what is good. Being holy is being different than the world. It comes out in our lives. Have you ever met somebody who loves garlic? They eat garlic all the time. You know what happens? starts coming out of their pores, right? Do you know when we love Jesus and we start to allow Him to train our hearts, it just comes out of us, this, this compassion, this love. We do good things. Yeah, I didn't throw that piece. I, I, you know, I knew I was going to say this this morning, and when I rolled into this parking lot this this morning, it is more trashier than it has been in the last three months. Did you notice that? There's just trash everywhere out there. And I thought to myself, okay, i got to go pick up all this trash. That's when God's Spirit is working in tandem with your teachable spirit. And He starts changing you. See, it's very practical. Being holy is different is being different than the world and it comes out in our lives holiness works from the inside out 
Notice the passage doesn't say be good as a result of being holy, but it says you'll be zealous for good works. You'll pick up the trash. Being holy isn't a burden. It's a pleasure. It's a joy. You're not forced to do right. You want to do right. So church is a holy temple, and we're living stones built by Jesus, fired in a furnace to be strong, fired to burn off all the impurities, the thorns, the thistles, so that the world can come and meet Jesus and be reconciled to God. If we're not living lives different from the world, then we're not very zesty, are we? If the world can't tell a difference between you as a Christian and your neighbor that's a non-Christian, why? Why can't they tell a difference? You have to say no to ungodliness, yes to godly living, and while we wait, we listen to Jesus. And then he changes us. We become different people. I'm a different person than I was five years ago. I am a much different person than I was 20 years ago. I was a jerk at times, wasn't I? You can, yeah, I was a jerk. But thanks be to God that he's changing me. And I'm not there yet. You're not there yet. We're in this process. And that's what it says. Do you notice? I don't know if you like to underline in your Bible, but it says in verse 13, while we're waiting for our blessed hope, he's changing us and purifying us when we stay yielded to him. Let me pray. Father God, I thank you for the joy of knowing you that you are not one-dimensional. You don't just pick us up from the gutter, but you pick us up from the gutter and then carry us along with you to teach us and train us to be just like you. Father, I thank you that salvation has come, Christmas has come, the grace of God has appeared, offering salvation to all men, and now that we've accepted you, we ask that the year 2017 would be the year you totally renovate our garden. That those nasty things, the thorns and thistles that we've just kind of been ignoring, you would come in and deal with. And we give you permission to do that. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.